Hey guys, welcome back to Kingdom Business TV channel. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, on this session, I want to talk about spiritual warfare. You know, it's a topic that, you know, whenever I talk about it in our conferences, I get a, a huge amount of feedback. Uh, people that have heard it 10 times saying, give me more because it's, it's an untalked about kind of area. Uh, and so, but, but I kind of want to put spiritual warfare through the lenses of the marketplace, right? So there's a chance here that I'm going to get a little bit preachy, just warning you. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of scripture to have a look at. We're going to dance between Old Testament, New Testament, and, uh, and try and make it engaging and fun at the same time. So, um, so just get ready because uh, I believe that what I'm going to say to you on this session uh, is really going to cut through some of your thinking. It's going to activate something inside of you, and you're going to start to see a level of breakthrough that you haven't seen if you haven't been doing what I'm going to teach. So let's get into it. All right, we're going to start. You, you cannot do you cannot do a talk on spiritual warfare without going to Ephesians six ten. This is like the the, the epitome of warfare uh, scripture, and you would know it. So uh, I'm going to go through it, and then we're going to revisit a few of the parts of it. Then we're just going to pull this thing apart. I'm going to draw. We're going to pull some things out and, uh, and, and so forth. All right. So Ephesians 6.10, you would know this. It is the whole armor of God. And it says this, finally, my brethren. So, I mean, just parking there, when Paul says finally, you want to you sit your bag up and, and take note, right? That's when he's making his, his, one of his major points. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Straight off the bat, the first thing out of here that we need to take is we need to be strong in the power of his might. Listen, victory in the battle, warfare, however you want to language it, it only has power. The, the only power that we really get to rest in, the only reason why we get any kind of victory is because of the might of God. Let, let's put that into what it really means. It really means the victory of the cross in this case. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. His might, in this particular case, what we can rely on is that he defeated the devil at Calvary. And that is the only way that we get some victory in this spiritual battle. All right, let's read on. And it says this, put on the whole armor of God that you may, you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, stand. All right, let's pick up on some pieces. Uh, put on the whole armor of God. Let me, let me just, let me, let me just, let me just uh, read it like I think many of you might have heard it. Uh, put on the whole armor of God every single morning when you wake up. The problem is it don't say that, all right? So I, I hear a lot of people that get up every single morning and they put on the full armor of God. Here's the problem I've got with that is that Paul told us to put it on and never take it off, all right? So why do you need to put it on every day? Why do you take it off every day? Why would you go to sleep when when your spirit is still alive, but you're asleep, not be able to defend yourself and not have the armor of God on at that point. Why would you consciously take that off when Paul says, put it on? He says, put it on once and then you've got it on. All right. So that's an interesting point. Okay. So once you've put it on, leave it on and don't be taking it off. Then it goes on to stand that you may stand against the wiles of the devil. That's the trickery, the tricks of the devil. And I want to kind of explore what they are. But 
But interestingly, let me, let me kind of draw a, a similar battle uh, and a, a paint a bit of a picture for you. Let's take boxers, okay? People that, d- that do boxing. You know, um, one of the things that they do before a major fight is they go and study their opponent, all right? And, uh, and, and so we need to study and understand the wiles of the devil. Different kind of battle, but same kind of concept. In fact, if you go back far enough, uh, you, you will find a, a famous boxing fight called the Rumble in the Jungle. And uh, it was Muhammad Ali, and uh, he, he was taking on the, the heavyweight of the world. And so what happened was, and, and, and he had some tricks up his sleeve, which allowed him to win. And it was, a, it was quite a frustrating boxing match to watch because for the first seven rounds, all Muhammad Ali did was block. He, he would basically go up against the ropes, cover himself, and then just get punched and punched and punched and punched and punched and punched because he knew through studying the opponent that that opponent had never gone past seven rounds. And so he knew that he would, over the seven rounds, if he could just look after himself, his opponent would box himself out and then he'd be able to come back and win. And that's exactly what he did. How did he do that? He did that. He did that because he studied his opponent. We need to study our opponent and understand what are the wiles of the devil. All right, let's keep reading. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Interesting. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And yet, and yet, talking to the people that we mentor and coach in in our events and all of the seminars, I see a lot of entrepreneurs who are starting to do warfare in the flesh and not in the spirit. Scripture tells us that's not how we do it. Listen, let me put it to you this way. Um, It's not your competitor's lying about you and slandering you that you need to fight. It's not your suppliers trying to rev you off that you need to fight. It's not the gossiping team member who's like spreading cancer among your business that you need to fight. It's not your partner in business or life that you need to fight. And it's not your Christian friends who make it their ministry to pull you down that you need to fight because these are people. Okay, and, and, and you need to start to think about, okay, I need to take the battle to the higher ground here and stop fighting in the flesh and start fighting in the spirit. You want to start taking dominion and standing down the stronghold of the spirits that are controlling your gossiping team member, your suppliers, your competitors who are lying about you. All right. Listen, I'll put it to you this way. Going back to boxing, just as an example, if you decide to do spiritual warfare, but you fight in the flesh, it's like a boxer who's shadow boxing. You can punch the wind all day long and all you'll do is wear yourself out and you won't win the battle because that's not where the battle is, okay? We want to get our eyes off fighting in the flesh. I mean, a lot of people fight in the flesh because that's what you see. They're the physical things that you see. They tick you off. They get you frustrated. And that's one of the wiles of the enemy is to get you focused on the flesh because he knows that when you fight in the flesh, you're going to be completely redundant when it comes to the battle. Hey, listen, if you're enjoying this, do me a favor, click the subscribe button and the little bell and you'll get the future alerts when I put out some content. All right. Um, Now, just just a little bit more here. Um, So at the end of that little part, it says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God, says it again, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, stand. This is interesting for me. Having done all, stand, right? By the way, when I research the word stand and the emphasis here, it's a really interesting position because it's not an offensive move and it's not a defensive move, actually. It is literally standing your ground, but with the absolute expectation 
that God is going to meet you in that place and then the victory will be his. What he's saying is fight. And if you can't win, stand because I'm going to come in and I'm going to take out the enemy. I've got to tell you, if that ain't a reason to celebrate, I don't know what is. That's collaboration at its highest. He understands that we don't always win the victory. What he's saying is, if you can't win, stand up. I'll come in and I'll get me some glory, says God. All right. I'm preaching a little bit now. I'm sorry if that offends you. I know I'm just a businessman, but there's something inside of me that I want to dig out. All right, all right, all right, all right. The word exousia, you've got to understand this if you want to understand spiritual warfare. Um, the word, okay, so go back to, to right back in the beginning of the gospel. God says to Adam, go take dominion. The word dominion is the word exousia. Uh, in, the, in the new covenant, uh, it's Jesus. Jesus says, all authority in heaven has been given to me. The word authority is the same word as dominion. It's the word exousia. And concordance says to us that, that the, the definition, if you like, is a superhuman token of control. A superhuman token of control, which means it's got to be human, but it's got to be super as well. And that's where we get our control from. So the thing that interests me about exousia is most people are not exercising the exousia, right? Understanding that you have been placed uh, alongside God above principalities, powers, and rulers, right? In heavenly places. That's your position. That's your inheritance, right? And yet most people have been placed there and never activate that position or walk from the identity of that position and then wonder why they're not winning. All right. So, you know, one of the things that I kind of want to say is, is you have to learn to speak out. All right. We, we, this, is a, this is a voice activated kingdom. God spoke it. That's why it even exists. Right. You've got Peter speaking boldly before the Sanhedrin. You've got Jesus speaking against the enemy when he gets tested. And we're going to go into that a little bit later on. All the way through scripture, right? We've got Ezekiel who speaks to the bones in the valley and they come together, right? We've got Esther who boldly speaks uh, to, to Xerxes and saves the Jews. Like speaking is a real thing. And so I would say to you that you need to start speaking out of that position that you have been given, right? You need to understand the identity that comes with being placed in heavenly places and start to speak from that place because in the organizational chart of heaven, you have been placed above the enemy, all right? This, this is because of the victory. Because of the victory at Calvary, we get to be seated in those places and we get to walk from those places. And in that case, in 100% of cases, you must win the battle. You and God are gonna win the battle and he's gonna get the glory. And that is the name of the game, all right? So let's come back down to earth. I'm, I'm getting a little bit excited here. A bit of coffee to calm me down. Just want to let you know about something. I got a little free giveaway up here. Uh, I created a one-page cheat sheet. It essentially says, what does God say about me? Basically, I've, I've done this for you so that you can have it somewhere near you, up on a wall. And it basically just lists through like 17 or 18 scriptures that you're able to go to that basically goes, all right, Ephesians. What, what does 1 Peter say? What's 1 Corinthians? And it allows you to get a cheat sheet Here's the reason why I produce this document. 
if you're not feeling super strong in a battle or you feel like you, you know, there, there are some challenges on the horizon, you start to meditate on these things, that will shift your identity in three seconds or five minutes and you'll be able to take the stand and fight with God. By the way, you can have that completely free. Literally just go to kingdombusiness.com.au forward slash me. Uh, kingdombusiness.com.au forward slash me. You can have that for free. No sales pitch, no nothing. I made it. You can have it. It's as simple as that. All right. I want to talk to you about a couple of ways that the enemy will attack marketplace leaders, right? That's, that's a bit of a thing for me. I want to bring it into the context of you and I who are entrepreneurs. The first place that the enemy will go for is our effectiveness. Okay. So here's what's really interesting for me. Once somebody becomes a Christian, okay, so dur during, during their journey to becoming a Christian, you know, the enemy is, is quite often trying to steal them and, you know, lie to them and so, so they do not make a commitment to God. And then maybe even just a little bit afterwards, uh, you know, while, while they're not necessarily mature in their faith, the enemy will, will have a go at trying to steal them away from God. But once somebody is a committed believer and they're sold out, very rarely does the enemy contend for our salvation. What he contends for is the next best thing, which is he wants to make sure that we are ineffective Christians, that we're not advancing the kingdom of God, that we're not leading people into a relationship with God, that we are not, right, that we are not ambassadors of heaven and changing culture on earth. He wants to make sure, he's like, yeah, be a Christian, that's fine, I can't contend for that. I just want to make sure that you don't do anything with your life while you are one, right? And so how does he do that? with a kingdom entrepreneur, I would say that one of the things he does is he gets us caught up in the world of mammon. All right, this is, this is gonna be the biggest stronghold. And, and kind of let me just draw a line between what we were talking about and this stuff. When, when we're talking here about the battle against your competitors, your suppliers, your, you know, the, your Christian friends, the gossipers, that sort of stuff, listen, that's, that's chicken feed, all right? And if you can't be good at that stuff, then I question whether you're ever gonna be given a big battle Listen, that, that stuff, you, you should be able to, that's your wheelhouse, just, just casting that stuff out. When you've got a gossiper, right, when they go home tonight, get around their chair and just cast that filth out. So they're never bringing that filth back to this business, right? Just start to take dominion over that. That's, that, that's child's play. Wish, if, we want, if we want to shift our focus to changing culture and using warfare to change culture, we've got to tackle the strongholds, right? And one of the biggest ones for the marketplace is mammon, the spirit of mammon. Now, please understand, mammon is not money. Okay, they are different. Money is an inanimate object that God didn't create and doesn't really care about. Mammon is a, a counterfeit. It is, a, it is an antichrist spirit that is so alluring and attractive that what the enemy tries to do to marketplace leaders is he tries to get us to take our attention off God and onto the things that God supplies. All right. So think about it. When you first start out in business, you know, you've got no money, but you've just got willpower and hope and, and things like that. It's easy to be committed to God. The trap comes when you actually prosper. When he brings prosperity to us, it is so easy to take our eyes off the God who brought it to us and put them onto the prosperity that he brought us. The houses, the cars, the things, the da-da-da-da, the stuff, okay? That is the spirit of mammon. It's self-interest. It's stuff you, God. I'm doing this all for myself now. See, what the enemy does is the enemy, being the father of lies, gets inside of our brain and starts saying, see, you did this. See, you didn't even tithe and you prospered. See, you know, you're, you're the one working hard. God didn't, see, see, see. And after a while, if you start to listen to that voice, before you know it, you start to believe your own press. 
And at that moment, you forget the very God that prospered you and you get so caught up in the prosperity instead of the issuer of the prosperity that before you know it, it ruins you and you become redundant and ineffective in advancing the kingdom of God. Listen, this is what we need to stay alert against, okay? This is the biggest trap that we have as kingdom entrepreneurs. And that's why I'm bringing it up because you need to be aware of it. All the way through Deuteronomy, God says to the people, listen, do not forget, it's the Lord your God that brought you out of Egypt. Do not forget the day that the Lord prospered you. Do not forget, do not forget, do not forget. And time and time again, they forgot. And God's wrath burned against them for a very long part of their life. So um, so, so we just need to make sure, listen, listen. What, what is mammon? I want to try and put that into a feeling so that you can spot it, Keep trying to make it practical. If you're getting status, um, prestige, uh, like, like joy, like, like feelings of worth from the prosperity, then you are somewhere down the journey of destruction. Because what God wants, God wants you to have those feelings from him and your relationship from him. That's what he wants to provide as your dad. If you can get those feelings, those outcomes from him, if you can get the validation from him, then when he brings you the prosperity, it does not draw you away from him. In fact, it draws you closer to him because you realize that he provided it. You didn't deserve it. All good things come from him. And it actually draws you closer to God. All right. So you got to start to ask yourself, am I getting stature? Am I getting profile? Am I getting pride from the things around me? Houses, cars, watches, clothes, friendships, associations. Because if you are, you're on dangerous ground. And if you are, it's simple. Repent. Say, I'll, I'll just hold it loosely. I'll give it all away. But I want to follow you, Lord. And then just meditate on the fact that he brought you the prosperity. And before you know it, he won't even necessarily get you to walk away from it. He will just get you to appreciate it. Listen, I, I reckon I'm preaching better than you're listening. So do me a favor. Put an emoji in the comment section below. And yes, I do go through them. I read them all. I'm the one that replies. I want to see what emoji you could come up with based on what I'm saying down there in the comments. Do that for me. That'd be amazing. All right. So that's only number one. All right. Number two. Um, the, the, the kind of wiles of the enemy for entrepreneurs. The second one is, um, is your sales opportunities. Believe it or not, I'll put it to you this way. One of the things that the enemy will try and do is rob you of customers, cash flow, leads, right? Quotes, tenders, jobs, whatever it is in your business, okay? You know, one of the things that really interests me and intrigues me is the way that kingdom entrepreneurs do not fight for the cash flow in their business, all right? It, whilst you are over here, see, see the enemy uses sleight of hand, come over here and get distracted on this project and I'll make sure that these other things that are essential for your business get taken by somebody else, but you're not warfaring over them. So when you're not warfaring over an area of your life, it is fair game to the enemy. Right? Because you are not stewarding that area. You're not taking dominion. You're not exercising exousia. All right? So by the way, this is fairly simple to do. All you want to be doing is all of your leads, all of your proposals, all of your quotes, all of your customers, holding them up before the Lord and saying, devil, you've got no power and no authority to mess with these leads. They are of God. And if they're not of God, then they won't be good for business. If they're of God, then there's nothing you can do to put a spanner in the works to stop them coming into my business 
and you start to speak out. Finances will flow from these leads to my business right now in the name of Jesus. That's what taking dominion looks like. That's what speaking it out is going to look like. None of this namby-pamby, oh Lord, please, if it's your will, it's your bill. None of this getting silent stuff and just playing small. It's helping no one, right? We've got to step up into this battle and fight for what is duly ours. All right, point number three um, is that if, if the enemy can't attack your effectiveness and if the enemy can't attack your, your sales opportunities and your cash flow, then just want to say to you that he'll come after your family. He will come after your family. And this bit's super sad because there is a, there is a whole line of hard luck stories of kingdom entrepreneurs, both men and women, who got so consumed building their business that they neglected the very people God trusted with them first. Family comes before church and business in scripture, in the order, right? So you need to find a really good way of fighting for the family. This doesn't mean that you need to quit your business and go and spend you know, 24 hours a day with your family. That's not what this means, okay? You need time in your day to build a business. What this means, though, is you cannot be neglecting fighting for the family in the spirit. It's okay to, like, if you're going to fight for cash flow and hold these deals up before the Lord, then you better be fighting for your household. You better be fighting for your kids. You better be fighting for your spouse. It's fairly simple because the victory has already been won. All we are is the mouthpiece, all right? So why don't you get up an hour before the rest of your family and walk through the house and do a rubba shabba shabba kakatata, rubba ducky, rubba ducky, your own version, right? And start to declare that stuff under the roof that you are bringing up your family, right? You start to declare that stuff, you'll see the environment shift. And when you're at work, the devil's not there getting stuff through those kids' iPads that ruin them. The devil's not there lying to your partner, you know, causing fear and doubt, right? Start to take dominion over the home and you will start to see the whole environment shift, right? Then those people are championing you in business, you're one unit, man, you'll be far more effective if you do that. The fourth area that the enemy will attack you for a, as a kingdom entrepreneur is in your busyness. The enemy will get you so busy chasing all these new opportunities, right? Come over here, be involved in this group, sit on this board, you know, be a part of this thing, start a second business, a third business, a fourth business. Why not? You're an entrepreneur, aren't you? And before you know it, you're so busy taking on opportunities that you don't have any time to walk out the very assignment that he's got for you. And that's a massive mistake. Because from a spiritual warfare perspective, the safest place you can be is on assignment. All right. So here's how that looks. Start saying no to some things. Once you've worked out what the assignment is that God's got for you, I know, I know mine. It's to train up, you know, equip, speak into, encourage tens of thousands of kingdom entrepreneurs to build large businesses to change culture. I know mine. Yours will be that. It'll be something different. It'll be something that God's already put inside of you. And then you need to make sure that your business lines up for, so that you can do your assignment, right? You know, Esther had an assignment to to convince the king to reverse the edict, right? You know, Daniel had an assignment to raid Babylon. Moses had an assignment to lead the people out of the promised land. Joshua had an assignment to take the people into the promised land, right? All the way through scripture. Uh, Paul had an assignment to take the gospel to Jew, Gentile, and king, ultimately all the way to Rome. Jesus had an assignment to reconcile man back to God. I've got an assignment. You've got an assignment. You need to make sure that the devil doesn't get you so focused on 
on get-rich-quick schemes, on new opportunities, or things that could actually be good. You get so focused on those things that you don't have time for the very thing God's called you to do. By the way, let me tell you, that is not success. So, so, by the way, if you're enjoying this, it would mean the world to me if you'd hit that subscribe button. If you haven't already, there's a subscribe button just below the video, hit it, and, uh, and you'll get the alerts of future ones. Um, I've got a bunch of other scriptures that I would love to kind of go through. Um, and, and so I'm going to kind of chip these off one at a time because I want to build a case here for how it works. You would remember when Jesus gets tempted, right? And, uh, and he does get tempted and it's pretty bad. Listen, it says this. So where are we? We're Matthew, uh, Matthew 4. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And we're not going to go into that because that's heavy on its own. And when he, listen to this, I love this bit. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterwards, he was hungry. I wonder why they put that in there. Like, I mean, like, duh. Let me tell you why that's in there. That is to prove to us that not only is he fully God, he's fully man. See, if, if he was not fully man, then we would have rights to say that was okay for Jesus to do, but it's not okay for me. But that tells us that not only is he fully God, he is fully man. All right. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. What was Jesus' response? He said, he spoke. He said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Fast forward a little bit further. Then the devil took him up to a holy city and said, if you are the son of God, questioning his identity, trying to get him to understand, maybe he's not, right? Exactly what he did to Adam. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. And he says, and he says, the response is, it is written again. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And when he says it's written, because that was in Deuteronomy, right? He's referring back because Jesus knows that the scriptures, the Torah, the, the original text, okay? Um, and so forth, right? And then, you know, it, go, it goes on a little bit before. The devil took him up to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of this world. And he said to them, all these things I'll give to you if you'll fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you, you shall worship only the Lord your God. See, that's the thing. Jesus understood the kingdom that he was fighting for, and he understood the king of the kingdom he was fighting for. And what Satan was trying to do was get him to put his eyes on the things of this world, which would detract him and build an idol out of the things of this world, forgetting the king of the kingdom that we're fighting for. That's what mammon does for us. That's what the sparkly bits do, the cars, the watches, the stuff. It's effectively, will we take our rise off the king and the heavenly kingdom and put them onto this stuff, all right? And Jesus obviously passes the test. It's interesting for me that he, all, he, he spoke out his answer and he referred back to what was already written. See, I would say to you that your warfare is going to be limited if you don't know what was already written. You need to have wells that you have dug of, of wisdom and the knowledge of God so that you could use that come the time of warfare. And if you're not spending time in your Bible and watching sermons and going to church, then you're going to have very small wells to dig from. And that's going to mean that when you go into battle, you're easy to take out because you cannot say it is written because you've never taken the time to work out what was written. Can I urge you to spend more time in the scripture, more time reading, you know, reading books, watching sermons, going to church and getting into the word of God. It's what's going to give you the well that you can draw from when it comes to fighting. All right, a couple more final thoughts. I want to prepare you for war because I want to promise you, I want to promise you that if you decided to be a Christian and you want to take it seriously, then battles are part of our life. 
I think it might have even been Hemingway uh, who said, nothing if not at first a dream. Um, and if it wasn't him, that doesn't matter. Uh, I think it's, it, from a kingdom entrepreneur, it's nothing if not at first a battle, right? Like every good thing comes out of the battles that we have, okay? Because they point glory back to God. Listen, um, it's in the crushing that the oil comes out of the olive, right? You, you, you can't get oil out of the olive unless there's first uh, crushing. It, it is the battles that get the oil out of me and you. It is the battles that get the anointing oil out of me and you, right? It is the battles that prepare us to draw the anointing out of us so that we can go on with greater anointing to take on bigger battles, all right? Most Christians these days are scared of the battle, which means that you're forced to play small and there's no crushing, there's no battle to draw out of you the very nature of God you're going to need for the next battle that you face. Can I tell you that you want to embrace the crushing? We, we happily sing about it in the crushing, right? We love the song, but we don't like the reality. Let me tell you, the, the outworking of being crushed and that oil coming out of you, the outworking is far better than playing small, all right? All right, I've got, I've got, Paul said finally three times. I think I'm going to be finally four times. Let, let, me, let, me, let, let me just say this one more thing. Genesis 49, 27 is Jacob. Jacob basically, uh, he's got his 12 sons and, and he gives them, these are his final words to his sons, okay? And then it comes to Benjamin. And this is what he says. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning, he shall devour the prey, and at night, he shall divide the spoils. In the morning, devour the prey, at night, divide the spoils. See, see, in this instant gratification world, we've got it the other way around. We want the Lord to bless us, to show us he's good enough to go into battle. What Jacob says to Benjamin is, get out there, tear these battles apart, go and get what's yours, and then at night, after you've won the battle, you can divide out the spoils, all right? We've got to stop living in the moment. We've got to stop chasing now the instant gratification from our king and start fighting the very battles he's got for us because on the other side of those are the spoils that you will get to divide. And let me tell you, dividing spoils after the battle is far more gratifying than trying to divide a few spoils beforehand, all right? We've got to start to, we've got to wake up. We've got to wake up in this fighting thing. We have a corrupt culture that we live in. This is my fifth final thoughts. We've got this corrupt culture that we live in. We have absolutely no chance of overthrowing the spirit of mammon. We have absolutely no chance of changing the way the marketplace works if we are complicit to the very antichrist spirit that is causing this corruption. Listen, what you bow your knee to on your journey will control you at your destination. If you give yourself over to mammon, to lust, to all these things, to pride, to envy, if you give yourself over to them on your journey, then they will be the very stronghold that controls you when you get there. And then when you get there, you won't enjoy your life because you won't have the freedom because you'll be bound up by these things. It's a very simple antidote. Start to fight and war over everything in your world. Start to fight for your business, fight for your customers, fight for your cash flow, fight for your family, fight for your mind. Start to fight.
And do not let the enemy, the father of lies, deceive you into playing small. You've got one life. Make sure you warfare as much as you can. All day, every day. It's a lifestyle. Love you.